Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahirrabbilalamin. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ahli bayti tayyibin al-tahirin. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to this panel entitled Islamic Law and the Future. My name is Reza Nikumanish and I serve as the Executive Director of the Islamic Cultural Center of Fresno and the Vice President of the Shia Muslim Council of Southern California. I'm honored to be taking part in this Imam Ali conference again this year. I would like to thank all of those who made this happen and specifically Sayyid Jawad Khazwini for all of his hard work. It is truly a service to the world that these amazing panels and presentations come to you as our community celebrates the life and the legacy of the one honored to be birthed in the Holy Kaaba, the first one to stand in defense of Rasulullah and the first one to lie down in defense of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam, Amir al-Mu'mineen, our Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib alayhi salam. In our panel, we will be diving into a discussion around the role of Islamic jurisprudence, fuqaha, in taking what we know and applying it to current trends, phenomena, and science. Earlier years of Shia formation, as early as Sheikh Tusi, we saw our ulama had a negative view of ijtihad, mostly as it was related to analogy or opinion, but as scholarship continued and ijtihad found new light in later scholars such as Muhaqqiq al-Hilli and others, we found not only the validity, but the necessity for our Islamic scholars to derive rulings for the believers to respond to our modern understandings. In today's world, more than ever before, the rapid advancements in science and technology necessitate a scholarly relationship between religious jurisprudence and experts in scientific advancements. And that is what we have the pleasure of in this panel today. I am pleased to open this conversation by introducing two esteemed scholars. First of all, I would like to welcome Sayyida Haura Milani. Sister Haura is a PhD candidate in cybersecurity and works in the social impact team at Meta, formerly Facebook. She speaks on issues related to women in tech and is passionate about ensuring Muslim women are represented in the global tech community. A mother of two, Sister Haura currently resides in, the Lon in London, UK. And next, I am pleased to welcome Sayyid Mahdi Qazwini, a native of Southern California. He has studied the traditional sciences at the Islamic Seminary in Qom and graduate Islamic studies at the Claremont Colleges in Claremont, California, where he and I are co-alumni. He currently serves as an educator for a number of nonprofit and business organizations here in the United States. And to you both, I say, Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Mahdi, in your opening remarks, can you begin by offering us a minor glimpse into the world of Shia interpretation of law of ijtihad? Absolutely. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And thank you for a great question. Uh, ijtihad really in its essence or, or its contextual meaning uh, refers to the ability to uh, extract and deduce Islamic laws from their sources. Uh, this can be either by way of deduction, uh, induction, or in some schools of Islamic law, uh, analogy, what we refer to as qiyas. And the term itself comes from the idea of exertion, jihad. Uh, specifically in this context, though, intellectual exertion, meaning that uh, to understand uh, and interpret the law, you have to exhaust all of your intellectual resources uh, in, in order to arrive at 
uh, a conclusion and a proper understanding around a particular issue. So there's a few components to how this could, you know, how this uh, plays out and, uh, you know, how uh, ijtihad becomes effective. Number one, the mujtahid, the person uh, who undergoes the process of uh, ijtihad or intellectual exertion, uh, obviously, number one, has to have a comprehensive understanding of the Qur'an, a comprehensive understanding of the hadith. Those are the two main sources of Islamic law that we use, uh, of language, you know, etymology, linguistics, hermeneutics. But also, uh, another component is for them to have sound judgment and good moral character. Because it's one thing to have the knowledge, uh, but it's something completely, uh, entirely different to uh, do the right thing with that knowledge. And I, I think this is an area where Islamic law and, uh, you know, the ethical applications of technology and medicine intersect. Um, so why is it relevant for the future of Islamic law? Because as new technologies and realities uh, rapidly emerge and change, it becomes uh, increasingly important for jurists and experts to provide sound legal judgments to help navigate unfamiliar territory. A number of uh, examples in the past have been, uh, you know, uh, Muslim scholars who uh, commented on, you know, the permissibility of insurance, organ donation, cosmetic surgery, genetic engineering. And it's similar to how a judge in today's world would understand common law by studying old law, but also understanding uh, contextual law, contextual common uh, um, uh, modern law, that is. So um, uh, that's, that's a little bit of a glimpse into ijtihad and why it's important for the future of Islamic law. Thank you, Sayyid Mahdi, for that perfect introduction into our session. Sayyid Ahaura, you have a particular expertise in the field of tech and artificial intelligence, something super exciting. Can you begin today with some hopes that you have particularly around ijtihad regarding technology and its ethical consequences? Assalamu alaikum and thank you, Hajjala. Brilliant question. Um, thank you, Sayyid Mahdi, for, for uh, starting it for such with such brilliant insights. Um, we're at the stage right now where artificial intelligence is being integrated into every aspect of our lives. And that's something we know. So whether, whether it's subtle things like digital voice assistance, face ID, recommended and customized search results when it comes to Amazon, Google, any search engine you're using. So the bigger ones like self-driving cars and robotic medical surgeries. Now, this leaves us not only wondering what the moral and ethical obligations are for us as humans, but even more so as Muslims. So examples of this are when it comes to life support machines, right? Or a robot has to, and a robot has to decide um, whether to pull the plug or a self-driving car that's about to collide and has to decide whether to save the driver or and kill the pedestrians who, who you know, who are innocent or, you know, whose responsibility is that? Um, and so there are many more issues that fall within the topics of automation, liability and responsible AI. Um, and from what the Honourable Honorable Sayyid Mehdi has just shared, there are specific ways in which the Islamic laws are derived. But we sometimes feel like like my personal view is that we're playing a catch up game when it comes to raw laws and rulings that tend to come after the technology has become widespread. We have these questions such as, you know, is buying uh, cryptocurrency halal? Can I pay khums with cryptocurrency? Can I pay sadaqa with cryptocurrency? And many things related, you know, we, we hear the phrases Web3, NFTs, decentralization, blockchain, and there's so much already going on in the tech world. And so my hopes 
really are to do with can we mitigate these issues or at least explore them by bringing together the disciplines and bridging the gap that highly qualified and experienced professionals in tech are working very closely together with our ulama and our mujtahideen to ensure that there's an Islamic perspective and ruling right from the start, as opposed to waiting for these technologies to become widespread and then trying to find a ruling for that. Um, so those are my, my hopes and wishes. I, I, I hope they're the hopes and wishes of our entire community, inshallah. Thank you, Sister Haura. Um, Sayyid Mahdi, with respect to those hopes that were laid out by a scholar in technology, can you share for us a time when our ulama engaged scientists or other experts in their fields to address new inventions or realities? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, this is really the the uh, the beauty of ijtihad uh, that that these conversations actually happen often. And I'll talk later uh, a little bit more about what we can do with those conversations. But there's a number of examples. Um, one example I actually heard from a gentleman who had experienced this. He said that in the late 80s or I believe late 80s or early 90s, a group of mu'minin in the United States had traveled uh, overseas and had met one of the top jurists. And uh, the issue that came up was the issue of the direction of the qibla. Now, we all know most of us here in the United States, the vast majority, we pray uh, towards the northeast, northeast. Now, the angle is a little bit different depending on what city you're in. But basically, a group of believers had gone and sat with uh, this cleric and they had laid out a map and they had drawn a line between one of the cities, I believe it was New York, all the way to Mecca. And on a flat map, obviously, it's not northeast, it's southeast. And so the scholar, based on this conversation, had uh, issued a ruling that you need to pray if you're in the United States towards the southeast. Um, well, what, what ended up happening is that a group of uh, experts later traveled again and uh, explained the concept of spherical geometry, how uh, because our Earth obviously is not flat, I mean, most of us believe that it's not flat, that uh, uh, because uh, it is shaped the way that it is, the shortest distance between the two lines is not, not a direct line on a flat map, but rather it goes northeast uh, and then comes back down southeast. That's what, it that's what it looks like on a map. If you've traveled from for instance, Los Angeles to, to Dubai or Los Angeles to Istanbul, if you've observed the flight map, you notice that you fly above, you, you go northeast over the North Pole and then back down. Um, and that's because of spherical geometry, that's really the shortest distance between the two. Now, here's what's really impressive is that the scholar retracted his earlier statement based on his conversation with geographical experts. And that really requires a lot of humility uh, to be able to retract your own statement based on what the experts are telling you is true. So these conversations need to happen because with the introduction of uh, science and tech and AI and these rapid developments, I'm sure we're going to have a number of, uh, of situations where people uh, want to figure out what to do and they want the response from the scholars. However, they want to feel confident that those scholars are uh, basing their judgments off of sound opinions. Um, so that's, I, I mean, that's uh, one example, and there's a number of other examples that we can uh, draw from. That's an awesome example, and we appreciate it. Um, to note that seven or 800 years before Galileo, it was Muslim scientists who understood that the world was a sphere and traveled the world to tell other leaders this reality. And being that we're on a panel about uh, Islamic law in the future with a, with a, a scientist, 
I don't think any of us are flat earthers, but I could be wrong. <laughs> Sister Haura, um, how can, can you share with us some of the challenges you face as a scientist who is a believer and a practitioner and wishes to bring those two fields of science, religion, and technology into a closer discussion and cooperation? Thank you so much, Hajrada. Um, that's a brilliant example, Sayyid Mehdi. Thank you for sharing that story. It's very, very interesting. And one that you know exemplifies the need to have that bridge that gap between those who are you know techno technologically advanced and and the ulama and, and mujtahideen so that they have they have a strong input and work together so the your regarding your question hadrada there there are two main issues or challenges that i find here one that as a community as a muslim community I feel like this tech space has still not heard our voice. So working here, I've been in the tech community for, for all my life. Um, I feel like the space that still doesn't have enough representation of diverse voices. And we need more people to specialize in this field um, since it's related to nearly every other issue and aspect in our lives. So, for example, who trains this AI? You know, who is feeding? The, the AI isn't going to, to teach itself, right? It, later on, it does. But in the first instance, who controls these machine learning? Um, you know, who, who, who puts the data sets out? Who trains it? Uh, who creates these machine learning models? It, you know, who's feeding the, feeding it the original information? We have, you know, stories where, for example, um, Google, you know, and, and you can read these online. Uh, Google trained an AI model and... It's, um, it identified a black person as a gorilla. Like, and that was a big, big shock. And it was a big issue that they, they had to deal with. Or for example, um, I think it's Microsoft who had to, who created an AI model to help them with recruitment. And they realized that it was being biased and, and you know, disregarding females. And so that obviously that wasn't helpful because they, they'd, uh, uh, they trained it for to have a better representation through their um, recruitment services. And so we look at these, you know, at which point will the Muslim representation show up? At which point will our voices be heard? And so one of my biggest issues and challenges is actually telling people, listen, there's there are opportunities many you know a vast amount of opportunities for people to come into the tech world. So why not check it out? Why not try it? And the second one, as you know, as a visibly Muslim educator slash researcher, I feel like it is my responsibility to not only share scientifically based and fact based evidence to, to youth or to those who I'm, who I'm sharing this knowledge with, but also Islamically fact based. And so having these conversations and strengthening the relationship between the religious scholars and the tech specialists or even, I don't know, creating a consortium or creating some kind of um, relationship or conference such as this one, where we have these conversations quite often and we're syncing and collaborating all the time. I think it would be a brilliant way to go forward and really mitigate these uh, challenges and issues. Thank you, Sayyidah Haura. Um, thank you both tremendously for offering us this little glimpse into a vast world of possibility for our ummah. Um, we as believers we and practitioners, we sit on the sidelines praying exactly what Sayyidah Haura just mentioned, that the gap between the two sciences, the religious and physical, is closed and our ulama work together to engage those who are most knowledgeable in their respective fields. I think it would change our world.
this discussion between Sayyid Ahura and Sayyid Mahdi was an awesome window into those hopes. And also maybe our faith depends on it. As we know, if religion or religious dictates are irrelevant and those deriving them are aloof from our reality, it's inevitable that our books will become nothing but collectors of dust that benefit no one. And that's a sad thought and reality that we have to avert. On a very small scale, and we can apply this understanding to our world and science, as we celebrate the legacy of Amir al-Mu'mineen, we can remember that he prophetically directed his followers by saying that you must not raise your children in the same manner with which your fathers raised you, for they have been born into a different era than yours. The world advances and we must strive to understand not only the world, but what our faith teaches us regarding those advancements. As we have a few minutes left, I would like to ask each of you, first sister and Sayyid Ahura, with some closing remarks, followed by Sayyid Mahdi. Thank you, Hajrada. Um, I have a very small message to all the people who currently feel like we have to choose tech and science over religion or disregard Islamic rulings because they don't fit the narrative that we're hoping for. I would say make your ideas heard and seen, share your perspective. Don't expect it to be someone else's problem when you are able to provide very valuable uh, insights and ideas. You know, we have 12 and 13 year olds who can tell you all about the latest text, things that I don't have any knowledge or idea about because of how immersed they are and how interested they are and how much they, they you know, how much time they have to spend reading and learning um, and the amount of information they and data they consume online so i would i would say you know a, a message to all our community members especially the youth make your voices heard and and share those insights because they are valuable don't don't keep them to yourself and then say nobody you know people are disregarding my my thoughts and ideas um that's that's my message and, and my hope inshallah inshallah thank you say mahdi um, I, I want to thank Dr. Haura for really bringing this up because, you know, I, I echo her, her, her remarks and, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the invitation, uh, and I'd reinforce that, the invitation to have Muslims uh, come and work into tech. In fact, she's offered me a job at Facebook before. I got I to gotta say that on the record, uh, which, which I was uh, very thankful for. But just as a final response, I, I would say that, you know, as we move into the future, hopefully there, there is more conversation between uh, what one scholar referred to as, he said, he said, we have ulama and nusus who are text scholars, the ones who spend their life studying the Quran and the Hadith and, you know, the, the textual sciences. And then there are uh, another set of scholars, uh, context scholars, ulama al-waqa. These are the scholars of uh, the experts in the fields of medicine and technology and uh, and AI and, and all of that good stuff. And there's no such thing as over-communicating. You know, we learned that in the business world today. Uh, you look at the top leaders in the business world, they're constantly over-communicating. They're, they're, over they're constantly reinforcing their message. They're constantly saying the same thing because you can't say the right thing too many times. So there needs to be continuous collaboration. A lot of the frustration that I get from young people sometimes is that the ulama, they're just not listening. Maybe there's a lot of red tape. Maybe uh, there are a lot of barriers in, in communication. And the thing that I feel our community wants the most, I don't feel that they, they need an immediate answer for everything. As long as we maintain conversation 
And we, as, as the scholarly class of people, um, uh, we, 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 um, we maintain communication and we stay curious. I think when we stay curious, we give people hope in the stability of our intellectual future. So it's not really about what you know. There's a saying that says, you know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And if we remain curious and open to conversation and open to collaboration, that will show people that our scholars really care about our mm -hmm. intellectual future and, uh, and about our, you know, our dean. And so my hope is that we continue to have these conversations and uh, stay curious because there's a lot to learn with the world that's coming ahead. Inshallah. So thank you, Sayyid Mahdi. Uh, one more revelation before we go. Um, so uh, Sister Haura offered you a job at Facebook. Is there some sort of relationship that we should know about? Yeah, she's my she's my maternal aunt, and uh, and I love her to death. <laughs> this is on the record. Like he's my favorite nephew. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest of the nephews had to hear that. Sayyid Ahaura, Sayyid Mahdi, thank you so much for all of your brilliance that you shared with us today. We want to thank uh, Sayyid Jawad Kazwini again for putting together this conference, Umma Ahlubay TV, and all the sponsors. And we hope that you enjoy the rest of this beautiful conference. Inshallah. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.